Now, today we're going to conclude the uh, sermon series on the kingdom parables of Jesus. Now, for those of you that haven't been here, in these last seven weeks we have gone through a parable, a Sunday, in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 has a specific list of parables that Jesus told. And they're called the kingdom parables because every single one of these parables feed off of the one before it. Every single one of these parables is like a big puzzle piece. When all the pieces are put together, you see this great big picture. And it's complete. You cannot take one of these parables out and really... Uh, build a, 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 an interpretation off of that parable apart from all the things you've seen in the other parables. You, you, if you do, you get an incomplete picture. All right? So that's why these are referred to as the kingdom parables. And today is the last of the kingdom parables. Of course, next week is our disciple now. And Nick, putting his hands up, if you have any questions... Anything, see Nick when we're through today. Make sure we got enough food for all the kiddos and any scholarship help. A number of our students don't uh, have mom and dads that really appreciate Jesus a whole lot. And so they could use the help too. Just see Nick when we're through here today. Uh, but that will be next week. Next week will be a great, great uh, weekend. But today we will wrap up the study on the parables uh, of Jesus. So to kind of bring everybody up to speed, if, for those of you that have not been here, I listed in your bulletin just a really quick uh, summary of the other parables that leads us to where we are today, all right? In Matthew chapter 13, the first parable that we looked at was that parable that's very well known. It's the sower and the seed. And the parable of the sower and the seed... It identifies those who reject Jesus. And it also gives you kind of a ballpark idea. Why do people reject Jesus? What are the reasons as to why they say, why do they say no to him? And, I mean, they all willingly choose no, but some of them don't really realize what they're doing. They still say no, but there's not a real clear understanding as to why. You see why, and you see what happens in the parable of the seed and the sower. You also discover in the seed and the sower, you see that small percentage of those who actually grab onto that seed, which is the gospel, the message, and they apply it. And then you get to see that from their life, the things that happens and what they're able to do for the kingdom. The second parable uh, that we read in this passage is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And the wheat and the tares has to do with those that we have to work alongside. Alongside. Those who are not Christians. The ones that the Bible says Satan places the tares within the field, the wheat field. And in that parable, if you remember, the angels having seen that the tares were sown by Satan when, uh, when the, uh, the farmer had gone to bed after he planted his, 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 his wheat. 
uh, the angels interceded and they saw what Satan had done and they, they asked the master, the, the owner of, of the field, do you want us to go and remove the tares? And the owner of the field, the master of the field said, not now. There will come a time when you will. And that's what we're going to see today in this parable. But for now, leave them alone. They will coexist alongside the wheat. That's the wheat and the tares. And then after that, we saw the parable of the mustard seed. The parable of the mustard seed has to do with the growth of the church, but its departure from what it was originally intended to be. Why? Because in the mustard seed parable, Jesus said that this small, and a mustard seed is one of, if not the smallest seed known to mankind. And yet in this parable, Jesus said that that seed that's so small that you can barely see it, it grows so big it grows into a tree. Well, mustard seeds are not trees. They're herbs. It's more like a shrub. Uh, a kind of a bigger looking bush that we would look at. So obviously, what was Jesus saying? Well, the mustard seed parable has to do with uh, a picture of the church. And as it has grown since it was first started, through the, uh, the work of the disciples and the Apostle Paul in establishing churches, um, and how it has developed in these 2,000 years now, and how many and much of the growth of the local church today, it's, it's not really doing what it was intended to, to do. That's the mustard seed parable. And then right after that is another very short parable called the leaven, or the yeast parable. And that parable right there has everything to do with the mustard seed parable, so that when we see the church becoming so big and powerful and doing political and just doing the things it should not be doing it's missing out its original intent its purpose um, and it's becoming something that it's not supposed to be it's abnormal well the leaven is the reminder that yeast and when as we see yeast in bread and it starts to puff up the bread and the bread starts to rise the parable of the leaven tells us and and shows us that much of the teachings that is making that mustard seed into something it's not supposed to be, much of the teachings and the things that churches today are, are projecting and what they're saying and what they're teaching, it's not found, it's not found in this. It's not in, the, it's not in the Scriptures. And because of that, is it any wonder that the distortion and churches today are just teaching things that's contrary to what the Word of God has to say. And just a little bit of leaven is enough to just ruin the whole thing. It just explodes. Last week we saw the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. The hidden treasure is that parable uh, that marks the location of where God will reign. We know when God came to earth in the form of a little baby. And that's the spot, that's the location. And in that parable, as Jesus tells that parable, he says, listen, 
this owner, he finds this hidden treasure and he goes out and he sells everything that he can to purchase that field. And by purchasing that field, he gets that treasure. And who is the treasure? You are. You're the treasure. You're the treasure. That pearl of great price, which is the parable that follows, what is the pearl of great price? Who is the pearl? What is the pearl? The pearl is the local church. And we saw that uh, dissected last week. There's so many things in the Scriptures that shows us what that pearl is. What was the great price, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the pearl of great price that was paid? Jesus stepped out of heaven and He came to earth and He died for the sins of mankind, he gave every single thing he had because that's what it took to forgive us of our sins. He died for the church. And who's the church? You're the church. We meet in a building that we've been uh, renovating for about the last eight years, kind of bringing it up to speed, and it looks wonderful. But that's not the church you're the church, and I'm the church. We're the church. We are Jesus with skin on, and our job as a disciple of Jesus, you know a disciple of Jesus is someone who imitates Jesus. It's someone who follows Jesus. Our job is to live in this world and to do what we can to impact as many as possible because this life is not all there is to it. There is so much more happening than most of us realize every single day that we're alive because there's so much more happening in another place called heaven. And it's a place where everybody wants to go, but the majority won't see it because they won't accept Jesus. So they have a chance and an opportunity to understand and know, well, what does it mean to be a Christian when they look at you and the way you talk and the way that you live and the way that you act every single day. And hopefully it is being done in such a way that it's causing us who are watching you, it's causing those who are watching you to want something that you've got because their life's just, it's just not happening. And so we see in all of these parables, you know what you see basically? God is giving us an overview of the way he's going to move in the history of time. That's what these parables are. From the very beginning all the way to the very end, we see God's game plan here in these, these eight parables. That brings us to the last parable, the last two parables today. Today we come to the parable of the net. Or in your Bible, it might say the dragnet, but it's the net. You'll find it beginning in verse 47 of Matthew chapter 13. And it says this. Jesus said this. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet, is like a net that is cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. Now remember that. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and they gathered the good fish into containers but the bad fish they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels shall come forth 
and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus says, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe, and that's the last parable, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. That's just very quick. I mean, there's not a lot of meat on the bone of that last one. It's not real descriptive, but there's a big, big truth in that last one. But that's what we, that's what we see in today's parable, the parable of the net. Now, last week, that hidden treasure parable uh, had to do with a field. That field is Israel. Symbolically speaking, symbolically speaking, Israel is almost always often symbolically portrayed in the Bibles as land, as the earth. Uh, if, uh, if you'll uh, think about it, especially when you're reading parts of the Bible that's talking about uh, Israel, scripturally speaking. And that pearl of great price that was found uh, that's in that field, it represents the Gentiles. That's us. And it's the Gentiles today in churches. Remember, we didn't even read about churches until after the resurrection of Christ. Because there were no churches. Why were there no churches? Because the Bible says Jesus came unto his own, but his own received him not. His own didn't, didn't buy into Jesus. And since the Jews, since his own, did not buy into Jesus, the Bible says that he went and he dug and he hid that pearl, that treasure, to be uncovered for another day. And when he buried that treasure, as you read in these parables that we've already looked at, as he buried that, that, uh, that pearl... The Bible says he's coming again someday. And when he does, he will open that up again. He will receive that. And the time then will be right. And so we, we know that. And the Gentiles are primarily today the largest uh, type of, of people that makes up churches. Because we are living in what is now called the church age. We are part of the church age. It's been going on for 2,000 years. And a lot of theologians believe it is a lot, uh, um, a lot closer to the return of Christ than ever before. And I know what many of you are thinking when you hear stuff like that. You think, yeah, well, they've been saying that for a long time. You're right. They've been saying it for 2,000 years. But the things that were needed to usher in the return of Christ never occurred. It's mostly occurred in these last 50 plus years. And I remember Dr. Wicker one time standing here in the podium, and he is an authority on this subject. He made the comment, every single thing that the Bible stresses as an, as an importance for what needs to happen before Christ comes back has been fulfilled now in the last 10 years. And Dr. Wicker's been gone from here for 
a little over 10 years, 12 years now too. So we're a lot closer than we think. And our parable today, why do we see? We see a net. We see a very big net. And that net is a large net, and it is used to catch fish. And it's fish of every kind, as we see here. It says, uh, it was cast into the sea, gathering fish of every kind. Every kind. The good fish, once the net is reeled in onto the shore, as they start to take out all the fish that are caught in this net, what do we see? We see that immediately there's a separation. The good fish from the bad fish. It's immediate. It's immediate. And that's important too. If you start to see this, if you start to think of some similarities between this parable and the wheat and the tares, then you've been paying attention pretty good. Because the wheat and the tares parable, and then the net parable, just however many verses on down in the same chapter, they walk hand in hand. I mean, they are really, really similar in, in what Jesus is saying. Two totally different stories, but the same, the same picture. Stop for a minute, and I want you to see the similarities and the differences between these two uh, parables, the wheat and the tares and the net. First, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus is emphasizing patience. Remember, the angel said to him, Lord, someone went and sowed tares in your field. Do you want us to go and remove those tares? And he said, no, wait. The time is not right. Let them both grow together, and at the harvest, they'll be separated. Isn't that interesting? What do we see right here? The patience is gone now. The fish, the harvest has been brought on shore, and now the good and the bad is being separated. There's no more patience now. It's over. It's, it's done. The gathering of every kind is at hand, and now the separating begins. And it's interesting, too, that you see in the parable of the wheat and the tares and the net, that it says that when the tares are removed, they will be bound and they will be thrown into the fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the same thing is said here. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's interesting. It's scary, but it's interesting. Second, in the wheat in the parable, the wheat in, in the parable is a parable, it's very descriptive because in that parable, it talks about a farmer, it talks about his servants, it talks about the laboring, everything that goes into it. But here, all we see are the fishermen and the laborers. That's it. That's all we see. Third, in uh, the wheat, and the tares, the weeds, the tares, they were sown into the field uh, that contains the wheat, but they were sown after the wheat was already sown, after the, the wheat had already been planted. Um, but here, both edible and inedible fish coexist together. 
forth and the wheat and the tares, we see that the field conditions are of the present day. Of the present day. The harvesting of the wheat is going to take place, but it's in the future. It's in the future. But in the net parable, the separation of the fish is immediate. It's now. It's not postponed to some you know, other time. It's happening now. Fifth and last, we see a strong similarity in the manner and how the lost are going to be dealt with. God, the Bible says, will send forth His angels to separate two types of people, the saved and the unsaved on that day. And we see them being thrown into the fires of hell on that day. It's a day, it, this obviously has not happened yet, but it's coming. It's very powerful imagery. Now, the emphasis here, it is centered on bringing in the harvest, isn't it? That's what this parable is about, bringing it in, bringing in the harvest. Everything else is simply discarded and just thrown away, put, put out. If you remember, a few months ago, we looked at another parable that had this same point told by Jesus. You'll see it up on the screen. It, remember that parable of the wedding feast? Remember that? Remember that parable? And the wedding feast, the same thing happened. It was a different story, but the same narrative is in that same story. The Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two ten. And those slave servants who went out into the streets gathered together all they found, what? Both evil and good, and brought them in. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. Remember that's the parable when um, the Bible says that they were brought in and when the master came in to look over his guests, he looked and he saw Someone sitting there not wearing the proper wedding clothes. Remember that? And he went up to, his, to that guest and said, how did you get here and you're not wearing the proper wedding clothes? And the person could not respond because he had no answer. And then in that parable, the master says, so the master says to his servants, bind that man and cast him out into a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for he will never taste of my dinner. That's a scary parable. And that's a harsh parable. That sounds uh, mean. It sounds angry. But it's not. You can hear that message online if you want to go back and listen to it if your curiosity is there. All that is is a picture of those who are going to heaven, those who are going to sit down at the banquet table. But here is a person that did not believe in Jesus, would not believe in Jesus, had no intention of wanting to follow Jesus, but there he is. And so the master asked him, how did you get in here? Because the only way you can get here is through the cross. How did you get here? If you did not receive Jesus, you do not follow Jesus, how are you here? And in the parable, the person could not respond because he had no answer. You know why? There is no answer. 
It's impossible. You cannot get to glory apart from accepting and following Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. You can't do it. It cannot happen. That's the point of that parable. Well, in this parable right here, it says the same thing. It was the good and the evil were brought ashore, and they start to separate the two. The net here shows no partiality either, does it? It brings in everything, good and bad. So what does this tell us? I'll tell you what this tells us. The gospel is intended for everybody. Everybody out there deserves a chance to hear the gospel. Everybody is God's focus when it comes to trying to reach and to save. There is no one too far beyond the saving redemption of Jesus Christ. No one. No one. God's grace is unfair. Amen to that. Because He loves all of us. All of us. All of us. It's important to remember, there is a separation, and it's coming. It's going to happen. And you're going to see it. And you're going to be just struck in awe when it happens, just like I will. And I know it's coming. It's coming. It's vitally important to know, where do you stand with Jesus? Today, where you sit. Do you have a relationship with him? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if something were to happen to you that you would pass uh, and you were to pass, would you go to heaven? You know, the Bible says you can know that. These things have I written unto you in order that you may, you may know that you have eternal life. And you can find that out today. But are you ready for that day when the separating begins? And let me pause and make really clear one thing in this parable. It says that they began to separate because this is the end of time now. The separating begins. The good from the wicked. Who are the wicked? It's easy for us to just see this and we just bounce and we just keep right on going. Who's the wicked? Who are the wicked? What does it mean to be wicked? You know, you can be a good person and still be referred to in the Bible as being wicked. Did you know that? You can wear a suit and tie and carry a briefcase and say everything right and do everything uh, noble, and you can still be wicked, biblically speaking. See, good people don't go to heaven And bad people don't go to hell. Only those people that have a relationship with Jesus go to heaven. Because if it's based on our goodness, um, none of us in this room, none of us, none of us in this room would make it to heaven. I wish Vivian was here because I was going to call her out. Even Vivian wouldn't make it to heaven. And you know, we're all in sad shape if she can't make it. It's not about goodness. It's not about what you can do. It's about what Christ did for us. Nobody's going to be in heaven and they're going to be bragging on what they did to get themselves there. We're going to be bragging on Jesus 
who got us there. That's it. That's it. See, y'all, there's a big difference with being in the church and not being of the church. Every single church today, all across this planet, people will be meeting in churches. There will be good fish, and there's going to be bad fish in the churches. Every church. Every single church. Um, I think... Uh, the way to look at this to in, in the same way as we look at the gospel net and how it's been cast uh, the hope is to catch as many as possible uh, before time runs out it's worth remembering what did Jesus say what did he want us to be to be what was his desire what did he say to Peter he said Peter if you follow me I will make you what Fishers of men. Fishers of men. To bring in the good fish. To bring in those that will follow Christ. It's to go out and to grab men and, and women and boys and girls and to tell them of the gospel story of how Jesus loves them. You know, it's interesting when you think about, and I put this in your bulletin too. In fact, the title that I put in your bulletin, and I want to kind of describe where I'm going with this, is Why Lost People Are Found in the Church Today. Um, there's a reason why people, and I'm not talking about when people go to the church and they're lost. I went to church for years, and I didn't know Jesus at all. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, People that go to church today and they go to church knowing they don't have a relationship with Christ, but they will always go to church. Why do they do that? Why go if you have no desire whatsoever to give your heart to Jesus? Why do they do that? I believe that there's a few reasons. It's in your bulletin. I think number one, I think the reason why a lot of people will go to church even though they are not going to follow Jesus. Oh, they'll tip their hat to Jesus, but they're not going to give their heart to Jesus. And the reason is because the church today, in a, in a large part, it stresses morality. It emphasizes morality. Um, there's virtue, there's ethics, and, and a society changes and begins to grow when standards such as these are being put forth and the church today as a whole will emphasize uh, these attributes so people want to be around that there's a second reason why i think uh, people will go but never give their heart to church and that's because in some churches today it offers social standing there's a benefit hey if you go to this church and you let people know you're a member of this church Things are probably going to look up for you. I mean, you're going to be a, a, a very influent type of person. Hey, I'm rubbing elbows with this church and pastor so-and-so. Third, I think the church offers fellowship. It offers fellowship. For reasons that we can all understand. Every single one of us in this room needs fellowship, by the way. Everyone. But there's a lot of people, and they're going through very difficult times. 
and very hurtful uh, situations, things in life, stuff that we all encounter. And so they joined the local church because by doing so, at least they got a moment where they don't have to be so depressed and they can just, uh, you know, be among uh, good people and, and so forth. But that is a reason. And to me, of all the five, this is the one that reaches out and grabs me the most because it's sad because there's so much more possible for them if they could take that extra step and go after Jesus and what he could do for them if they would just let go and just trust him and just trust him. But they need fellowship. Fourth, the church also gives a false sense of spiritual security. And you know that's true. There's a lot of people today, they go to church. They don't know what in the world Jesus is all about or even what the church stands for. But when they see God, they're going to be able to tell him, yeah, but I went to church. I was there. Those doors, I even went more than just Christmas and Easter. And it's as if these moments build up you know, their ability to finally just barely tip the scale and get in heaven. But we know that's not true. We can go to church. We can get baptized. We can do good things. We can, be, we can serve. We can do all this stuff. But if we're not doing it out of a heart of gratitude because of what the Lord did for us, if we're doing it as a means of thinking He's going to let us in, He's not. It's, you just made church a club. It, it's all you've done. It's all you've done. And then I think the fifth reason why people get involved in church but they have no intention whatsoever of ever going to Jesus is because the church off, offers um, authority and it offers direction. And most people need that authority and direction. Something that will tell them, you know, what to do, but then it's up to the person to decide whether or not they want to do what they're told to do. But um, if you really want to see a great parable that defines these five things I just quickly just threw out to you, you will see it in the parable of the, of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to cover that in the few weeks coming up. And that is a powerful powerful passage of scripture scary too so let me ask you this since we're talking about this stuff why do you go to church now i want you to think about that for just a moment why do you go to church what is it that motivates you and feeding your desire to go and be a part why do you want to be a part why do you go to church Anyone who reads the Bible will know immediately right off the importance of going to church. You know, the establishment of the church, Jesus did. It wasn't man that did it. It was Jesus' idea. There is a reason for the existence of the local church. But why do you go? And I think when you think about that, think about this. A second question to that would be, what are you doing in your church today what are you doing how are you serving and helping your church and to grow what are you offering that is making that is uh offering that is giving the church 
that one thing that is needed to help us move from where we are here to right here, and then from right here to right here, and from right here going up this direction. What are you adding? What are you doing? These are the key questions. Jesus said, and you'll see this up on the screen, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. You know why I like that? Because you know who those other sheep are? It's this guy. And it's you. You're the other sheep. He says, I have other sheep not of this fold. Now, remember when he was saying that, who is he saying that to? The disciples. Can you imagine what they were thinking? What? What does that mean? What? Fold? You mean, well, we're the Jewish people. What does he mean? There's, there's other people. There can't be other people outside of Jews. That's what they're thinking. And you can see this just going, playing out. And Jesus said, oh, wait, I have other sheep. When did the gospel turn and start going in that direction? When he buried the pearl again. When the treasure was hidden again. When the treasure was unearthed and his people, his fold, received him not. And he goes back and he buries it and says, okay, I'm moving on to plan B. And plan B leads us to where we are right here today at 13201 Rendon Road in Retta, Rendon, Burleson, Texas, whatever you want to call it. Here we are. That's it. That's it. You know, before Christ comes back, and I don't want to lose you on this as we begin to wrap this up, before, but this is important because this is this parable, this net parable. You know, before Christ comes back, and he reigns, as the Bible says, he will reign on this earth for a thousand years. A thousand years. That's going to take place. That's going to happen. And I know there's a million questions that go through. What does that mean? Well, we'll talk about it at some point. We'll do a study on that at some point. We'll break it down where everyone can understand it. But this parable right here is addressing that. Why? Because right before he comes back, the gospel net will be thrown. And now everything will be brought in. And as everything is being separated, watch the purpose for the separation. Because the bad cannot go into the kingdom. That thousand year reign of Christ that the Bible over and over talks about, which would have happened if his people would have received him, but they didn't. The kingdom of heaven is among you, as the Bible says, when they didn't believe it. When that moment does happen at the end of time, and that net is cast, and everything is brought up, and they're shifting out, it is the good that goes into the kingdom that reigns with him for that thousand years, and the bad is prohibited from entering into that kingdom. Into that kingdom. If you want to see more on this, take a look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 31. I know it's a lot of verses, but it's not near as much as take out your Bible and when you get a chance, look at Revelation chapters 6 through 19. And if you do that, you're basically reading the whole book of Revelation almost. Both of these two address this parable. 
See, this parable is kind of short, but man, look at everything. It's packed in this little story. It's amazing. And after Armageddon is over, the Lord will divide the good Gentiles from the bad Gentiles according to what they have done. And that's the parable of the sheep and the goats, Matthew chapter 25. And this separation is necessary because it's a prelude for the sitting up of the millennial kingdom. You know what's really interesting? Do you know that when this event takes place, all seven of these parables, they're done. They're done. Because the history of everything from when Jesus was here and he ascended back up into heaven until he comes back, that whole vacant gap that we see right here, and all these seven parables make this up, this storyline. I call it at the very beginning of the message today. It's God's game plan. It's fulfilled. It's all done. The, the picture is complete. You can hang it on the wall now. It's a full picture. That's what happens. So Jesus finishes this parable. And he turns to the disciples and he says to them, he says, do you understand all these things? And in the Bible it says, yes. They said, yes. They didn't understand these things. They had no idea what he was talking about. But you know, I don't think Jesus is really asking them as much as, do you understand everything that is coming out of my mouth? As much as he's trying to emphasize to them do you understand that all these things has to be taken together? You cannot take these stories, these parables out. They are not independent and by themselves. They all make up one engine, and this is how it's going to run. I think that's what he is asking them. And the reason, y'all, they didn't even know what church was. The, even the concept of church, what's a church? How do you even spell that? They didn't even know. Because it wasn't until later in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus begins to drop the hints, hey, I'm going to do something different. It's called the church. And up until this point, church isn't even, it's not even a whisper. So as he finishes, oh, and I'll just throw this out real quick. If you want to look up uh, these scripture references, I didn't put them in your bulletin, I should have. But boy, it's a good one. As Jesus is preparing them to look at this thing that's about to develop, we're going to call it the church for the meantime until I come back. If you want some really good verses that really just blows this thing up and just defines it, Romans 16, 25 through 26, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, or Colossians 1, 26. You will love those verses. So let's wrap this up. Jesus finishes that parable, and then we see him wrapping up the, all these kingdom principles with a little tiny parable called the owner of, we call the owner of the house, the eighth parable. And he says in that parable, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. 
And he says to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings forth out of his treasure things that are new and old. And you're like, um, okay, what does that mean? You know, the role of a scribe in the days of Jesus, it was to preserve the law. The law is what we call the Old Testament. We have a lot more than the Old Testament now, don't we? We also have the New. But a scribe protected and preserved the law for the people. The rise of scribes began in the days of this guy by the name of Ezra that we read about in the Old Testament. As scribes of the law, their role was to help people in their learning. And they would do this by preserving the truths of old. That's important, remember that, of old. Throughout time, their job went from preserving the truths of old to also preserving man-made traditions, the traditions of men, um, and those kinds of interpretations. And that's when everything just blew up and got ridiculous. Because now the people were not just to uphold what does the Bible say, but all these ridiculous lists of rules and rules that no one could fulfill. But that's what they did. Jesus tells us in this parable um, that we need to go from the position of being a scribe that leads people into learning and we need to transition to that of being a disciple that leads people into living. There's a difference. Scribes taught people how to learn, but as he says right here, therefore every scribe who has become what? A disciple. A disciple. Of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household. He brings forth uh, treasures that are new and old. When a scribe decides to take this one thought, this truth that people need to learn further and becomes a disciple, he's now going to help that person to learn what it means to live. Not just learn. It's let me demonstrate it for you. A disciple is the one who brings it alive, makes just words on a page real in their life. This is how this works. And if you want to see how this works, then listen and learn from me and by, by my example. See, the owner of the house parable teaches them and teaches us that we need to embrace, embrace the, both the old and the new. Anytime you ever hear anyone say, well, we don't need to listen to the Old Testament, that was it. They are, they're morons. They're clueless as to what the Bible has to say. Jesus didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. The Bible says he did not come to abolish it, but to what? Fulfill it. Warren Wiersbe made this quote, and he, this is one of those makes you go, oh, okay, sounds good, I don't know what it means. Until you really think on it and let it roll around. He said, uh, the, the new cannot contradict the old because the old comes out of the new. It's both. We need both. And Jesus is simply telling these disciples, do you understand these things? 
you need to let the people know that the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, it's coming. It's been prophesied of old. It's going to happen, but it's been postponed. That's all. They both go together. They both support each other, the new and the old. What we had way back then and what we're living in now, that's together. We don't need more truth either, by the way. We have all the truth that we need in the person of Jesus. And we can hear about all the truth we need every time we open up uh, this Bible and we look at what God's Word has to say to us. Um, if we want more truth, dive into God's Word and you'll see it. But we don't need any other revelation. There's nothing else needed. My prayer for us today is twofold. First, it is my prayer that we would recognize what is occurring around us today and we would wake up. My prayer is that we would not be so focused on the pleasures of this world that you forget why you were put here. Because we were all put here for a reason. People are dying and they're going to hell and they are surrounded by people who have the, the way out. And they're not doing anything about it. And my second prayer, my hope, is that we will all realize the urgency of getting this thing prioritized in our life. Because time's moving really quick. So what is our job? We are to sow the seed. We are to sow the seed. We're to live strong and in God's mighty power, knowing that others have been planted around us to lead us astray, to impact you, to water down your witness, but God allows it to exist for the time being. We need to realize that a little bit of compromise can just blow up this whole thing and make it something that it shouldn't be. And as we are going forward, remember, a little leaven will leaven the whole loaf. So don't open up that door to things you should not be opening that door up to. Why? Because we know there is treasure out there. And that treasure right now, it's hidden. It's not hidden to us. We know what it is. But there was a great price that was paid for you and for me. It cost the Son of God everything, including His life. And then we see the net. The net has been cast, and God one day is going to reel that net all the way in, and it's going to be... It's time to move on to the next chapter. He's going to close the book. The millennial reign will begin. And then it's a whole new chapter of what God is doing. And that's what we get to read about when you look at Revelation and other chapters. My, uh, my biggest uh, challenge to all of us here today, let's be what we're supposed to be for Jesus as we represent him Let's do all that we can to bring people to Red Baptist Church. Let's get really plugged in to the ministries. You know, the church is only going to be as successful as you're willing to be a part of it. That's just it. That's just it. And if you're, if you're willing to step up and to be that instrument that God can use, I'm telling you, God's going to move. God's going to move. 
But he's going to do it through you. And he's going to do it through me. And we're going to be doing it together. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. God, we want to thank you for so many stories uh, that describes basically the history of the redemption of this world and all that you're going to do. Father, I pray right now today that you would just speak to all of us here in this room. And Lord, if there's anyone here and they don't know for certain where they're going to go when they die, God, would you uh, encourage them to speak to someone, maybe one of the ministers? God, ask, uh, uh, have them call us during the week. We'll meet them. We'll meet anyone that wants to talk about that anytime. Because God, being lost is forever. Being found is forever. And we want to be found. Lord, I pray and ask that for those who are here today, and God, they're just struggling. There's just so much in this world that can just kick us in the face and just hurts us. I pray, Lord, that they would speak to someone. Uh, God, at least that they will speak to someone and just pray. Ask for prayer. I, I ask, God, that you, would, that you would meet them at their deepest part of their need, and God, that you'd help them. Lord, more than anything, I pray and ask that you would help us to just remember this visual picture. You're going to cast that net, and you're going to reel it all in. Lord, right now today, that net has not been cast out and reeled in. It's been cast. But the order hasn't yet been given to pull it all in. And I pray, God, that for those of us here who have loved ones that do not know Jesus, God, would you open up doors within our family and our friends and give us, God, the angle of how we can get in and speak to them before that order is given. God, that's our prayer today. And Lord, we're just thankful and we're honored that you allow us to be here and to see this game plan that you've wrote out. And we are thankful, most of all, Lord, that you gave everything you had to purchase it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.